think the keyboard was definitely praising the Lord this morning, was it not? <laughs> Thank you, Grant. That was awesome. Awesome. Happy New Year, everyone. Okay, well, difficult question series. So last September, whether you remember it or not, you all filled out a bunch of these difficult questions that you wanted to hear preached about uh, come the new year. So I sorted them into piles on my office floor. I took the three biggest piles and made messages out of them. So uh, here is the the largest pile, all questions having to do about the uh, discerning the will of God. So thank you for these. These were very hard and made me work really hard. Okay, so here are just a few of the questions from that stack. How can we be certain certain things happening in our lives are indeed the work of God? Another one. How do we know after prayer if it's God's will or mine? Another person wrote, how do I fulfill God's purpose for me? Here is my second favorite question of the week. Someone wrote, I need a hitchhiker's guide to God's will for my life. Can you help? So, of course I can. The uh, key to discerning God's will for your life is the number? 42. 42, says all the readers of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Thank you. All right. Uh, feel free to leave and have coffee. If you, would, <laughs> if you would like something a little more than the number 42, stay seated. Okay. So, here are uh, what I'm going to do in this message is just give the answer in the first two minutes. And then we'll just spend the rest of our time together going deeper and understanding it and applying it. So understanding God's will for our lives, as far as I can tell at this point in my journey, God gives us about four really strong ways to discern his will. The first is his presence in and and after we have prayed. The second is his word in scripture. The third is his direct intervention in the circumstances of our life. And the fourth is the agreement of community, the church. There they are. So let's now take those and just spend some time going deeper. So one of you wrote, how do I know after a prayer if it's God's will or mine? One of the things that we look for is God's presence in the prayer. Did the idea of this course of action you want to take, this thing you want to do, did it come to you in prayer? Particularly, did it come to you in a way that, you know, it's not an idea you probably would have thought of on your own. Some of you have had this happen. You begin to pray and something springs to mind that's just not anything or any way you've ever thought before, and and there it is. Um, as As you continue to pray about acting on that, you feel a particular sense of peace and positivity about it. This might be the presence of God in the prayer affirming that you are indeed in his will. Now, let's be honest. That is about as thin as it gets, right? You might just be really worked up emotionally about this, or you might be really biased, right? You may want to do whatever it is so badly that you're imagining that you feel a sense of peace and have ideas from God coming to you. You might be a little cray-cray, Right? You might just not have had enough sleep and you're not eating right and your meds are interacting. Okay. So, fortunately, God gives us more than just his presence in prayer. He also gives us the second one, uh, his word in scripture. So, if this thing you're wanting to do, you think you've heard from God, if it's a violation of the word of God that's been passed down to us, then you're hearing it wrong. 
Some people feel a peace about cheating on their spouse and moving on. Some people seldom feel moved by God to be generous with their money. Some people decide to get through a difficult situation by lying. They haven't heard from God, if that's what came out of their prayer. Now, some of you have cited a problem with this. Here's what one of you wrote. Many treat the Bible like a book full of secret codes, thinking God sends them messages through verses they have to decipher. Quote, oh, I know not to take this job because God told me not to through verse X, unquote. Is this real? Retired minister came up to me after the last service and said, you know, a verse will confess to anything if you torture it long enough. (laughs) I thought that was great. Um... Yeah, I'll answer this question directly. Is this real? Not as often as it's done. As often as people do this sort of thing, it's not real every, um, nearly as often as how that happens. Okay, so this is one of the problems with using God's, will, uh, God's word to discern God's will. You might just be grabbing a verse and making it mean what you want to torturing it till it says what you wanted it to say. Um, Another even bigger problem with using God's word is a lot of what everyone's asking about on these cards isn't covered in scripture. For instance, in that example, what job you should take. That's not covered in scripture. You won't find Jesus saying, thou shalt be a paralegal. (laughs) Whether or not it's time for you to retire. Which college you should go to. What you should major in once you get there. You can't find verses for these things. So fortunately, God has also given us another layer to discern his will. And that is his direct intervention in the circumstances of our life. So you may only be offered one of those jobs in the end. There may be a nice scholarship uh, involved in one of the schools and not at the other's. I forget who it was, but someone said, whenever one door closes, I hope one more opens. I hope you give faith a fighting chance. And when you give the choice to sit it out or dance, I hope you dance. Now, you write that on the calendar because I use a country music reference in sermon. And and I want cookies or something for... All right, but you you hear this sort of language, and it's true among Christians. Sometimes God closes one door and opens another. He's intervening in the circumstances, helping you to hone down. But on the days when God's not in the mood to make it that easy for us, uh, there is a fourth layer of discernment. In my opinion, this is the most powerful tool and the least utilized. It is the agreement of the church, the community. You think you heard from God... You go to brothers and sisters in Christ that you trust. Others who are not as emotionally involved in the decision as you are. And you tell them what you think you heard God say. And most of the time, I've found they're able to tell you if they agree or not. And as they speak, most of the time I've found the Holy Spirit sends you a sense of peace about what they're saying. They can verify your interpretation of Scripture to tell you if you're verse jacking or not. They can tell you if you're reading the signs of your life well, those doors opening and closing, or if you're just looking at weird circumstances and making something out of it. Here are some of the things you might hear uh, that have been said. Uh, Yes, you should move to Jamaica and be a missionary. Yes, you should go to seminary and become a pastor. No, you should not have your sister come live with you at this point in your marriage. No, this is not a good time for you to buy a lake house. No, don't do that. First, you have to go uh, tell the person who's hurting you that they're hurting you and, and then take it from there. 
These are things that have been said to me and that I have said to others just within the last 18 months, except for the pastor one, um, that I have said to others or others have said to me when the, the, the church was sought as confirmation of God's will. It's a powerful discernment tool, but the trick is you'll have to have Christian friends in order to use this one. So this month we're starting a new small group season. And uh, this card that you have in your offering, you can turn in, express your interest. Someone will contact you and let you know the opportunities to be in a small group we have because this is it, guys. If you don't make Christian friends this year, if you don't keep investing in the Christian friends that you have, you will lose the ability to hear God's will in your life. I'll say it again. If you don't make Christian friends this year, if you don't keep investing in the Christian friendships that you have, you will lose the ability to hear God's will in your life because you'll be letting go the most powerful, responsive, flexible tool God has given us to handle all those things not directly covered in Scripture, to confirm all those senses that we're having. You'll be letting that go. So use this and get started in Christian fellowship this year. That's why together hangs there as the middle banner. It holds all this together. Using these tools would dramatically increase your ability to benefit from the will of God and the guidance of the Holy Spirit in your life. So it's His presence in prayer. It's His word in Scripture. It's His direct intervention in our life. And it's the agreement of community, the church. So you have a bunch more questions that float around this topic. So let's go deeper and keep using these tools. Here's a brilliant question which one of you submitted. Now this is a long one, so track with us. How can we be certain certain things happening in our lives are indeed the will of God? I mean, is it only coincidence that, quote, God works, unquote, only within the boundaries of what we can accept due to however we understand him to be? They explain themselves with this example. A conservative Baptist won't see something happen in his or her life and be like, quote, well, I guess God's a universalist and hell doesn't exist, unquote. Okay. What they're trying to say is our upbringing shapes our categories for what we see, so then we can't see anything but how we were brought up and we think it's God's will because we were taught to look at things that way. Um, I see the point you're trying to make. However, I, I must respectfully disagree with the premise of your question. And uh, I think the person who wrote this question is themselves their own um, counterexample. I'll show you why. I don't believe, while I believe that the categories we're brought up to think do shape mostly how we think, we are able to think outside the categories we were brought up to believe in. And I will use the example you print right here. Uh, uh, very conservative churches. Very conservative churches in America right now are turning us out a crop of atheists in waves. It's like there's a Xerox machine in the back of some fundamentalist churches and they are running off atheists for us and sending them on YouTube to make ugly comments about everything. People brought up to believe that God is cranky and legalistic are now looking at that God and seeing it differently. Now, I think the unfortunate thing that's happening is they're leaving the cranky, angry God, and they're running right past the, the God revealed in Jesus and running straight to God doesn't exist. And I think that's an unfortunate shortcut. Um, but it proves the point. 
people in large numbers are thinking outside the categories they were brought up in. And I think, ironically, the person who wrote this question, that you are probably now thinking outside the categories you were brought up in. So we can do it. We can do it. I think this is a question mostly about knowing. How do we know that we know something and we weren't just conditioned to think that way? How can we be certain divine intervention really comes from God? And I want to say to that question that certainty is an impossible thing. We keep reaching for certainty. In fact, in this question that uses the word certain twice in the first sentence. But certainty isn't there to be grasped. Look at the examples we've already said this morning. To discern God's will, you're going to have a sense of God's presence in your prayer. It's going to line up with Scripture, whose words you believe largely based on faith. You're going to have uh, some sort of uh, events happen in your life which you interpret to be God closing and opening doors. And you're going to have trusted friends in the church agree that what you're feeling is likely to be something God would have said. Those are powerful, but that is not certainty. You cannot take any of those things to the science fair and get a blue ribbon for it. But the will of God is not a science project. The will of God is a relationship with a living being. Now, here's something we all need to know. You, you know this, but it may not have, you may not have phrased it this distinctly before, so let's phrase it. There are different types of knowing. There are different types of knowing for different types of information. Now, what we're all very familiar with is material knowing, things that are repeatable, testable, verifiable. You all are excellent at material knowing, which you will now demonstrate. So can someone, anyone, tell me the freezing point of fresh water at sea level in Celsius? Zero. Zero. Tons of you know this, and it's testable and repeatable and verifiable, material knowing. Okay, let's go to the discipline of physics. What is the uh, formula for force? Yeah, mass times acceleration. Mass times acceleration. Several folks knew that, and it's testable, and it's repeatable and verifiable. A harder one from my discipline, biology. How long is an elephant on average pregnant for? Two years, 22 months. Wow, all right. That's a lot of ice cream. So, um, 20, now these things are testable, repeatable, verifiable, the material knowing, and you're all experts at it. But there is another type of knowing. There is relational knowing. For instance, if I say, does your spouse love you? And you'll have an answer to that. Can you prove it to a panel of skeptics? If someone came to you and said, not one of your spouses actually love you, they are all conditioned to be married by pressures from our culture, they are uh, looking for some sort of reliable companionship, they are uh, using you for status or money or to fight off loneliness, but they don't love you. Can you prove that to a panel of skeptics? Can you trust your boss? There's a relational knowing question. Can you trust your boss? Now you feel like you know the answer to that question. Can you prove it? Doesn't matter, does it? Because it's relational knowing. You can be certain enough about relationships based on what you've experienced to act on it. You're putting trust or not putting trust in your spouse or your boss based on your relational knowing that you're fairly certain of, and yet you can't prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. Our relationship with God fits better in a relational knowing category than a material knowing, because you can't get God to sit for an experiment. But you can know enough 
about God's will to act on it. You just can't know enough to prove to someone else that it's God's will because it's relational knowing and it doesn't work that way. And you guys make relational knowing decisions all day long. And it's good because that's the way relational knowing works. Okay, here's someone with a question. They have heard the will of God. Now they have a problem of a different kind. How do you give up personal goals and ambitions when you feel the calling to do something else completely different? How do you trust the best path? I feel the pain of the person who wrote this, and I heard some groans out there. In 2001, I left the classroom teaching high school to join this church staff. I loved teaching high school. I wanted to be teacher of the year so bad. That, that looked like fun. But I only taught for four and a half years, and I was only just starting to figure out what worked and what didn't work, and God called me away. I kept my lesson plans in three big boxes in my crawl space for six years because I wasn't sure that I might not go back. So, you've been called to something else. What do you do with the old thing? First, be grateful for it. Think often about what you learned from it and thank God for it. I bet it has made you better at your calling. There are things about being a high school teacher which I use here all the time. What do you do with the old thing? Mourn it properly. When it's appropriate, go ahead and say that you miss it, that you miss those other opportunities. Remind yourself that you made a trade and why you made the trade. And it's all right to be sad that you didn't have the time or the energy to do both things really well. It helps you admit that you're immortal with limits. What do you do with the old thing? Pray as Jesus prayed. Not my will, God, but yours be done. Knowing that in the end you'll be glad. And don't burn any bridges. Our God loves full circle stories. Moses started in Egypt. He goes out in the desert. He goes back to Egypt. Jacob parts ways with his brother, forms a big tribe of his own, but then goes back and lives in the land with his brother. Peter follows Jesus. He ran away from Jesus. He goes back to Jesus. You might be coming back this way again someday. So don't burn any bridges on your way out. As you go to follow God, leave well. Here's a hard one that several of you want answers to this morning. How do you accept something that's happened that one doesn't like, but it may be God's will? Illness, jobless, loneliness, etc. Thank you for asking that. First, be alert. Be alert to the doors this experience may have opened. As horrible as it is, has it given you time to do something you didn't have time to do before? Has it brought you into relationship or connection with people that you didn't have relationship or connection with before? Has it caused you to think about things and see things in a way that ultimately has been healthier, but you just weren't getting around to thinking that way before? A good friend of mine broke his neck last year. And, and rather than just die outright, which would have been much more merciful in my opinion, he had to suffer for many weeks painfully in the hospital. 
Now, from his bed, he could see people walking past his door on, these, on their physical therapy walks, you know, where the nurse gets you out of bed, has to get you walking, otherwise you'll never get out of that place. And from his bed, he would shout out the door to them, you're looking good, good job, keep going. Now, my friend died as a result of his injuries. But a daughter of one of the other patients in the hospital came to the family when she heard. She said, I just want you to know that my mom said that she, when, she, when we get out, she goes, I got to get around the corner to see that guy. He had these really sparkling eyes, and he was so encouraging. She said, I got to get around to see that guy because he encourages me so much. And the reason she got out of her bed and walked that walk was to make it around the two corners so she could hear him say, you're doing good, keep going. One last gift. The only thing I can say is to daily daily give this experience back to God. Friends, I've said this before and I'll keep saying it and it'll it'll probably keep making the church smaller and smaller, but we're going to be lonely and we're going to be jobless, some of us, and we're going to get sick and we're going to die. This promise I make to you. Don't say when it happens, don't act put out, shocked or surprised. You heard it here first. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. What the world needs is a witness. You, a living witness with your life who says, well, this is how a follower of Jesus does loneliness. This is how a follower of Jesus behaves when they don't get what they wanted. This is how a follower of Jesus works day after day in a dead-end job. This is what an unemployed child of God looks like. This is how a Christian is sick, and this is how a Christian dies. Well, This next question, I think, I consider the best question of the morning as far as getting us to talk about what we came here to talk about. I think this is the best question of the morning. Is God personable? Is he only ever interested in the big picture or does he care about the small things like the state of our hearts or struggles with our feelings? And being eternally divine, can he relate to the finite, perishable, collapsing of our lives as humans? Yes, he can. In fact, Jesus Christ is the incarnation of the answer to that question. So for a world that often wonders, does God love us? Does God really pay attention to us? Does God really understand what it's like to be human? Jesus comes to us in the language of the Gospel of John, pitches his tent in our neighborhood, and he becomes the God who cares that you ran out of wine at your wedding reception. He becomes the God who is worried about you because you've been married several times and now you're living with someone. He's the God who cries when his best friend dies. He's the God who has time to say, oh, come let those toddlers sit on my lap. Jesus reveals to us who God is and as it turns out, he is a God 
that has time to pay attention to us. Let's end with this question, which I think is what most of you who turned this in really wanted to know. How do I know if after prayer it's God's will or mine? How do I fulfill God's purpose for me? I know we already had that question. I just I really need an excuse to bring a few more points to our discussion. I want to say this. Most Christians don't clearly know whether or not something is God's will until they set out in that direction. The journey becomes more clear as you begin it. God sends you affirmations along the way which say that was the right thing to do, but not before you begin. Also, as you begin, you want to look for something the Bible calls spiritual fruit. Like you plant a tree, you make a decision, and then after it grows up, you see, does it have the fruit that you were looking for or better? So say, for instance, you quit serving in the church. You quit leading a small group because you felt like it was taking you away from your family. But now, months later, you really aren't spending any more time with your family than you were before. You don't have the spiritual fruit, so probably you want to reverse course and undo that decision. Evidently, the thing keeping you from your family turns out not to have been the church. Here's a hint. It's your TV and cell phone. Watch this week what's keeping everyone apart. That's free. Extra sermon for free. (laughs) And here's something you really, really need to know. For these types of questions you're asking, there's rarely a penalty for not following God. I said it. For these type of questions, there's rarely a penalty for not following God. Now, violating scripture, violating your own conscience, that stuff is filled with penalties. Drinking till you get drunk, sleeping around, greediness, holding a grudge, gossiping about your friends and neighbors, that stuff will kill you. Its penalties are built right into the fabric of even committing those kinds of acts. But the types of stuff you're asking about isn't like that. You're asking about whether to buy a house out in the country or whether to give above your tithe. Or picking which college you want to go to, or choosing a major, or dealing with difficult people, or raising your kids, time out or spanking, it's that kind of stuff. God knows that stuff is hard. And He's not angry at you when you get it wrong. Same retired minister came up between services. He says, The pattern for God's will was laid out in the Garden of Eden. You can do anything you want, just don't do that. Now, like weird zombies, we tend to gravitate. Oh, why? (laughs) But really, the will of God, you do anything you want. Just don't do that. You're in a room full of doors saying, Lord, I want to be in the center of your will. He's like, welcome, you're there. Pick a door. Not that one. No, really, not that one. But pick a door. Now, Jesus said it this way. He had a great line in Scripture. Matthew 7 For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Jesus says, you parents, if your children ask you for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? If they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? So imagine if you have a son or daughter, or imagine that you did, and they came to you and they said, 
Mom or dad, what do you want me to be when I grow up? You're going to say something to them like, well, do something that you love and do something you can be proud of. Do something that provides for you so you can move out. But imagine they press you on that. Now, wait a minute, mom or dad. I know when you decided me to bring me into the world, you had a plan for me. You had a job picked out for me. And I know you're not, tell- so I want you to tell me what it is so that I don't disappoint you and wreck my life. I don't want to pick the wrong job and have you hate me forever. If they said something like that to you, you would say, that's crazy talk. We didn't pick a job for you the day you were born. We brought you into the world to love you, and that was about the plan. In fact, for some of you, we, we didn't even plan to have you. But once we heard you were coming, we made a plan to love you. We want good things for you, but we're not holding some secret map seeing if you can figure it out or we'll be mad. This is a relationship we're having, you would say to them. Father, son, mother, daughter, parent, child. This is not a high-stakes obstacle course. We love you. Pick a job. Pick a major. Pick a door. If you hate it, pick another one. We'll still love you. Well, Jesus says, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? So God is far more concerned about who you are than what you're doing. God brought you into the world to love you. He wants good things for you. He's not holding some map that he's not showing you. He's not the game designer from the Hunger Games. It's a relationship. Father, son, daughter, child. It's it's not a high-stakes obstacle course to see if you can weave your way through with sketchy information. Pick a job, pick a major, pick a door. If you hate it, quit and pick another one. He'll take those experiences and roll them into a blessing for the next because he loves you. Maybe what we're all really asking is, what does God want from me? And I think St. Irenaeus, early in the Christian history, said it best. A person fully alive is the glory of God. Isn't that really what you want if you have children? Just be fully alive. Be fully alive. And that's more about who you are here than what you're doing. To help us on that journey to become fully alive with his guidance. He has given us his presence in prayer, his word in scripture. Intervening in the circumstances of our lives. And the agreement of community, the church. So all of our goals for this new year is to get as much of these four things into our life as we can. Prayer, scripture, eyes to see what God is doing, and fellowship to guide us through the day-to-day when the first three just aren't giving us much clarity. This year, which one of those could you do something about this week? David and Lauren Eck are Lakelanders who have been working hard to discern the will of God for their life over the last few months. And we asked them if they would come share their story about that, and they have agreed. So let's welcome David. Hi. My name is David, and this is my story. In the summer of 2010... I made a last-minute decision that would alter the course of my entire life. 
As a volunteer leader, I joined my church's youth group on a mission trip to a very rural community in the mountains of Jamaica called Harmons. Upon arriving at the Jamaican airport, we were greeted by a group of college-age interns working for the organization, helping us carry our luggage. They were filled with, the bags were filled with various donations for all the Jamaicans. One of the interns spoke with an outrageously thick Minnesotan accent that was straight out of the movie Fargo. <laughs> when we got on the bus, she sat in front of me, and the driver called back to her and said, Hey, did you know that David was also from Minnesota? She goes, Oh, really? <laughs> I asked her what part she was from. She said, the northern part. <laughs> All of a sudden, her thick Minnesotan accent broke into a nervous laughter, and that accent turned into a southern twang. Some of you may know this sweet southern belle is my wife, Lauren. After that week-long experience at Harmon's, I decided to return to spend a summer down there on my own. Lauren had also decided to go back down, and we all of a sudden became very good friends. She got a job here in Kansas City, and all of a sudden our friendship turned into a romance, and eventually a marriage. We found ourselves very comfortable uh, with good-paying jobs and great companies surrounded by a community of people that we loved. Although we've been very blessed in our situation here, Life has often felt like an exhausting grind, leaving us burned out at our jobs, making the decision, or I'm sorry, looking for a change. I began looking for different jobs within my company and contemplated a career change altogether. Lauren and I had often discussed maybe going back to where our story began down in Jamaica. Through a series of lighthearted conversations with one of the directors from the organization we met at, our dream suddenly became an opportunity. After months of conversations about what it would actually look like for us to move there, the door officially opened and the ball was in our court. We prayed furiously and talked to tons of people about this. We were asking God if this was his will for us or if we should go down a different path. At first, there was no clear direction from God. The clouds didn't separate. There was no burning bush and there was no dream or vision. Now that going to Jamaica, Jamaica had become a reality, the decision became just as terrifying as it was exciting. So many good things we would be leaving behind. Dearly loved and cherished friends and other lifestyle things here. However, we felt the tug in our hearts that would not go away. Of all the things we didn't want to let go of, we, were, we just kind of felt that they were our own selfish desires in the comparison what we were doing. In the end, we agreed to a two-year open-ended commitment. We were going to move to Harmons, Jamaica. Lauren will head up a children's ministry with a church that was just recently planted and is in desperate need of one. And I will be working with the men and young men, hoping to develop the leaders of the future down there. Making the decision wasn't easy, and it hasn't become any easier since we spent the entire fall fundraising, and we're still looking for people to partner with us in this ministry. Just a couple weeks ago, I tore my ACL, pushing the timeline back by a few months. This is going to require surgery, but God has still provided, and he's going to allow us to work, so at least it'll be covered. Even though all of these things are stressful, these are just details. We still have a deep sense of peace that God is still with us in this adventure with One by One. It's interesting that it's so easy to see God in the aftermath. There have been so many doors that closed and so many other ones that opened 
kind of preparing us for the challenges that we've encountered. If I've learned anything in this process, it's that finding God's will for my life isn't necessarily finding that magic path of destiny. It's that God has given us the privilege of choosing all of these doors and all these opportunities, knowing that each one will lead to different challenges and different blessings. I hope that me sharing my struggles through this may free some of you from this paralysis and fear that I went through when me and Lauren made this decision. Hopefully it will give you a sense of freedom to pursue your dreams with the understanding that God has placed those desires in your heart. My name is David, and this is my story. Oh, man, an amazing part of our full circle God, uh, which David did not know, is that for the first five years of this church, Lakeland used to go to that village in Jamaica. And the mission director he's going to work for used to be members of this congregation. So perhaps God is calling us back or or reconnecting us. We'll see what he does. So uh, I've asked David if he would be in the prayer circle after this service and if you would like to talk to him about perhaps supporting that uh, effort that he and his wife are going to do there in the mountains of Jamaica, um, you can talk to him there and make that connection. I think uh, the Lord is certainly in it. All right. Well, let us um, take communion now. This will be our first communion of the new year, a symbol of our being one. Because on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. So as often as you uh, eat this bread, remember my death. He also had a cup. He said, this cup is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. So see, Jesus already knew we were going to have sins. We were going to have tragic times when we got outside the will of God, and he has made a way right up front for us to be forgiven and be brought back onto the path. Choose a different door. The forgiveness is... Right here. So we invite anyone who wishes to come down, tear off a piece of bread, you dip it in the cup, you receive it into yourself, and it is a new beginning, the opening door. Symbolized there in his body and blood. Let us stand together and we'll recite the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, let us proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Hallelujah. <laughs> I don't know what I just said, but it wasn't hallelujah. <laughs> All right. The gifts of God for the people of God. Each day, may this uh, Jesus Christ be as real to us as this food and this drink. Amen. 
a word of blessing for you. This year, may you feel the presence of God in your prayers, and may you come to know his scripture, and may it guide you into being fully alive. Uh, May you have eyes to see the doors he's closing and opening, and may you have fellowship here in the church, one another, a blessing to guide us through the day-to-day living. It is a gift. Go in peace and Happy New Year.